Turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 16. And if you'd focus your attention to the 16th, 17th, and 18th verses. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We will do this as quickly and well as we can. I don't know about you, but I do realize there's a number of crock pots that have been hooked up uh, into electrical outlets. And if there is any breakers that are flipped, I will continue to preach, but I expect a few of the deacons to get a fire extinguisher if necessary for later. All right? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, and we will use this passage as a springboard. But sanctify in your hearts Jesus Christ as Lord, and be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within you, yet with meekness and with godly fear. In looking at this passage... Setting apart, sanctifying Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts shows itself in our ability to give an answer, our readiness to give an answer of our hope in Jesus. And then something is said about the outlook and attitude that we have while giving an answer concerning our hope. Meekness and godly fear. So we are humble and we are respectful people when we give an answer. The Bible would say, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to make every effort to make your own calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1, verse 10. A person ought, as a Christian, to be ready to open the Word of God and show others why we believe what we believe as the people of God. It's something to always be thinking about, and it's something that we should desire to grow and develop in doing. Having the ability to show the hope that we have in Jesus to others with meekness and godly fear. Now, I want you to know something. 
Where one worships should not depend primarily on their background, their family, or their friends. Where one worships ought to depend primarily on what the Word of God says. I wonder how many people are members of the religious group that they are a part of simply because of that being a family tradition or a family way. It seems to me that as neat as that might sound in one way, it's lacking when we look at 1 Peter 3.15 and being ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us, having sanctified Jesus as Lord in our hearts and to do so with meekness and godly fear. Tonight, the lesson's somewhat personal. And I'm going to put it that way because I cannot speak for all of you. But I will proceed to give an answer to the question why I am a member of the Church of Christ. And I suspect that much of what I say and almost everything will resonate with everyone but I want to give a six-part answer to the question with the awareness that many more things could obviously be said. Why am I a member of the Church of Christ? First of all, I am a member of the Church of Christ because of what it is called I am a member of the Church of Christ because of what it is called. Quite simply, the passage read in Matthew 16, 13 through 19 speaks of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the confession, the acknowledgement of Simon Peter. And Jesus says upon this statement, this foundational truth, this glorious confession that you've just made that's of God, upon the basis of this confession, I will build my church. Mark that. Maybe that little pronoun, my. He purchased the church with his blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. He refers to it as his church. While I am aware that there are several different designations given to God's people in the New Testament. The church is called the church of God, for example, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. The church is called the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The church is called the church of the firstborn, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. These are just a few of the designations given. But it seems to me that it's a significant and most important point to keep before the eyes of everyone that the church belongs to Jesus. That the church was purchased by Jesus, that he is the head of the church, and that the church is the body of Jesus. Many years ago, in 
a town that I guess could be a West Texas town, there was a discussion as a building was being erected for the worship and service of God. They were discussing, what are we going to designate this place? And it ended up being a very heated discussion. There were a number in that community that wanted to say, this is the church of Christ. I think I can appreciate their thinking in that. But there were some that had very strong uh, backgrounds in religious groups that were designated differently. And finally having not been able to come to a name, someone put up this designation. This is not the church of Christ. I wonder how many people would find calling Bible things by Bible names so objectionable that they would be willing to make such an outlandish statement. It would seem to me that every church ought to desire to be a church of Christ. And that He bought it, it is His, and we seek to honor Him. Can I get an amen for that? Secondly... Why I am a member of the Church of Christ, I am a member of the Church of Christ, not only for what it designates itself, but what its members are designated as. I am happy to be a member of the Church of Christ because of the way it speaks of its members. When you look at the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Christians are saints. That doesn't mean that a person's been dead long enough that nobody remembers anything bad that they did. It means that if you're in Christ, you're a saint. You've been set apart for a holy purpose. In continuing... People who are in Christ are called saints, yes. They are called disciples. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Acts eleven twenty six. Those who are in Christ, those who belong to Jesus, are called Christians. Acts eleven twenty six. Acts twenty six twenty eight. And 1 Peter 4, 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. The word Christian means belonging to Christ. Every Christian ought to be Christ-like, but every Christian is Christ-like because they belong to Christ. In thinking about this, 
It only makes sense that the people of God should designate themselves in a way that honors the Master and Lord. You know, sometimes people in a church designate themselves by a particular practice, maybe a method of discipline or a practice of the church or according to the organization of the church or something like that. We designate ourselves as members. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. We designate ourselves as brethren. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to 500 brethren at once. And so to call each other brothers and sisters, to call each other members of the Lord's church, to call each other Christians and followers of Christ. These are noble and these are biblical terms. That's why I am happy to be a member of the church of Christ. Number three. I'm happy to be a member of the church of Christ because of its creed. Because of its creed. And let me stress this. We have no creed but Christ. And we have no creed book. Just Scripture. No creed but Christ and no book but the Bible. It is the belief of those who are in Christ that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Back to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. That's what we believe. And when one seeks to come to Jesus, one of the first questions we ask them is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? A question that really must be answered in the affirmative for someone to be right with Jesus. No book but the Bible. Now stop and think about this. If a creed contains less than the Bible, it is inadequate. If a creed contains more than the Bible, it is inadequate. Therefore, creeds are inadequate because we have in Scripture, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, all things pertaining to life and godliness. If that is true, and it most assuredly is, there is no need for any creed but Christ or for any book but the Bible. Now, I want to bring this out by way of illustration because in the last few weeks especially, I've referred to 8 plus billion people in the world and many places that have almost no knowledge of Jesus. Let me ask you this question. 
Let's say that someone in one of those distant places got a copy of the Bible. Would it be possible for them to come to faith in Jesus with only the Bible? Would it be possible for them to become part of the Lord's church simply by following the Bible? Would it be possible for them to do that with no additional instruction occurring from anyone, anywhere, but with only their Bible and only looking to Him, they come to faith in Jesus? The answer to that question has to be absolutely yes. And while we can be thankful for mission efforts, we need to keep in mind that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. And that people can have confidence and hope as they hold fast, firm to the end what they have in Jesus and his word. Hebrews 3 and verse 6. All right, well, three are down and three yet remain. I am glad to be a member of the Church of Christ. And I'm happy to tell you why. I am happy to be a member of the Church of Christ because of its organization. Because of its organization. The head of the church of Christ is Christ. The headquarters for the church of Christ is heaven. And I'm not trying to be simplistic. I'm simply being true to what the scripture would indicate. Now there are scripturally organized churches spoken of in the New Testament. And when a congregation is scripturally organized, when a church is scripturally organized, catch this, it is served by a plurality of elders, overseers or shepherds. Those are three different ways of referring to the same position. Served by a plurality, that means more than one. One of the earliest departures from what the New Testament teaches was having one man be over an entire congregation or group of congregations or area of congregations. All of which eventually led to the departure of Roman Catholicism and the papacy where the Pope is over the churches. The New Testament says nothing along those lines. It says Jesus is the head of the church and the headquarters is heaven. Not Rome, not any other town. The Bible speaks of the autonomy 
of local churches. It's an expression that's not used a whole lot, but it has to do with self-governing as long as people are yielding to Jesus. No one has the right to legislate for Jesus, but in matters of judgment, elders, overseers, shepherds have authority in matters of opinion, in matters of judgment. Things like who will be the preacher, when will be the meeting times, will we have a get-together after services, will we have a special series of meetings that we call a gospel meeting or a seminar or a marriage enrichment seminar. There are a number of areas of judgment where these men, a plurality of men known as elders, overseers or shepherds. Now I'm going to put all three of those terms together. And you read about them in Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. The same position, but three different ways of referring to them. Listen, y'all. Elders are men of maturity physically and spiritually. Elders are men of maturity one of the qualifications is that they're not a new convert. They need to be men of maturity. Secondly, men of oversight and stewardship. They look over souls. They watch out for the church and for our souls. Elders, overseers, shepherds do. But finally, shepherds are men of heart and compassion. I think it's so important to put all three terms together like that which is done in Acts 20. The leaders of local congregations need to be men of maturity, men of oversight and vision, and they need to be men of heart and compassion. Also, within local churches, there are to be deacons. These men are special servants doing the work of the Lord. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 discusses the work of elders. 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following the work of deacons. Titus 1, 5-9 deals with the work of elders. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, the work of elders. Acts 20 that I've already referred to, 17 and following, especially the work of elders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and following, the work of elders. The Bible speaks of the elders and deacons and servants in the church. Philippians 1, verse 1. How different that is from many churches. How different that is from many religious groups. And those who serve in the positions of elders and deacons are very much aware that they serve under the lordship of the head, Jesus. At least they ought to be if the church is scripturally organized. 
I am glad to be a member of the church of Christ because of its belief in scriptural organization. Number five. I am glad to be a member of the church of Christ because of its emphasis upon worship. Upon the worship of God. It was mentioned by Kyle in our prayer, a passage that is often referred to, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24. God's people should be a worshiping, praising, honor-giving, glory-giving people to our King. And so when we meet together, there are avenues of worship. Worship is prescribed in Scripture and described Prescribed and described in the New Testament. Ways they worshipped. They observed the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. There is precedent for this and no precedent for any other practice. The Lord's Supper... And so when we have a man give up and get up and give a, a Lord's Supper meditation, we can be quite confident that we are engaged in a practice that goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. The Lord's Supper. You know, the Sabbath day was remembered under Judaism every week because it came every week. And the Lord's Supper is remembered by God's people weekly because the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, comes every week. Until He comes, we partake of the Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Acts 20 and verse 7. But we also emphasize giving, free will offerings. Free will offerings. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. You don't see the congregation having various ways to get money. We rely on the free will contributions of people. There's something really simple about that and really neat. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by in store as he has been prospered. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. There's something simple and wondrous about doing Bible things in Bible ways. The early church had prayer as a vital part of its worship. Acts 2.42, the breaking of bread and prayer. You can go back to the earliest days of the church and you see talking to God together being emphasized. Singing, singing. It seems to me that singing is an important part of every culture in all the world. Everywhere I've ever gone throughout the world, I have heard people sing praise to the Lord. 
and often it has been just something that struck a chord in me. Because as Waylon mentioned this morning, we sing with our hearts and we make melody in our hearts too. It's not just are we articulating words, and we should certainly think about the words we sing, but we are making melody in our heart to our Lord and our God. Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding also, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. Preaching, opening up the Word of God is a vital aspect of worship. I'll give you one example and one will be all that is needed. Acts chapter 2. Nobody can be down on worship and high on preaching. No one is high on preaching but down on worship. The two will go together because preaching is a vital element of worship. Preaching is. Acts 2 shows that. And so does every other worship context because the proclamation of the Word of God is a vital aspect of worship to help people know and love God and praise Him. Number six. I'm glad to be a member of the Church of Christ. I am glad to be a member of the Church of Christ because of what it teaches. God's plan of salvation. Let's look at just a few verses quickly. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace... Have you been saved through faith? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now wait a second. I understand what's being said, that salvation is by grace. But that doesn't mean that man is passive and does nothing. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The idea is lest we should boast or glory in what we do. What we have done. John 6, 29 says, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him. That's a great passage to have in your Bibles by Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Believing in God is a work that we must do. But it's nothing that we can do to draw attention to ourselves as if to say, God, I don't really need you and what you provide. Quite the contrary. Faith, trust in Jesus and what he alone can provide. 
Repentance is a command, Acts 17.30. The idea of making the good confession is a necessity, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. The Bible teaches the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And I believe with all my heart as a member of the Church of Christ that we seek to tell others what the real answer to that question is. In responding to the grace of God in faith and repentance and acknowledgement of Jesus as the Son of God, baptism is the line of demarcation being saved or lost. A person who knows right from wrong, that can hear the message of God and trust in it, turn from sin and repentance and acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, that person needs to understand that baptism is the line of demarcation where one goes from being lost to being saved. Why do you say that, preacher? I say that because Jesus taught, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be condemned. I say that because Jesus in His Word says through the apostles, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I say that because the Word of God says, Why do you tarry, arise, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? I say it because the Word of God says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Galatians 3, 27. No, we don't earn or merit our salvation by any of those things. We respond to the provision of God in Jesus. And we acknowledge how much we need Jesus. And the saving merits of His life and death. There's a lot of things I could have added. I'd love to be able to talk more about why I'm a member of the Church of Christ and say because some of the sweetest, kindest, most godly people I've ever known are members of the Churches of Christ. But all that kind of thing, some of the best givers, some of the, the most thoughtful people, some of the most forgiving and loving people. But I want to base everything solidly on what Scripture says and I want you to know not every member of the churches of Christ behaves themselves as we ought but any quarrel we have with anyone in the churches of Christ should not be because of the head it should only be because of members that might not be showing enough of Jesus in their lives. I want to say this. You need to be careful about how you talk about the church. Do you all hear me? 
because you're talking about another man's wife and you're talking about someone's bride who's far more of a man and far more God than you and I will ever be. A better person, a greater God. Be careful how you talk about his bride. And any quarrel you have with anyone in the church, I hope it would be a lover's quarrel. And that you would take that individual to God in prayer before you talk negatively about them to anyone else. Amen, church. When people come to Westside, I long for them to see a group of people who want to honor the head and be living members of the body of Christ in this very moment in time. And to show others the love of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus. May that be even more true at Westside. Let us stand and sing.